All right. So um, before we read the text, actually, um, just wanted to kind of uh, just introduce the topic that I'm going to talk about, um, uh, I guess, financial values or financial principles, right? Which um, is, I think, an interesting subject, right? Um, so Paul has been um, talking to the Corinthians uh, both on a personal level and also kind of on a ministerial, uh, like a slash theological level. So he's been talking about uh, reconciliation. Um, he's been talking about uh, ministers of the new covenant, um, but he's also been trying to restore or repair some of the relational challenges that um, they've been experiencing with each other, Paul and the Corinthians. And uh, the next two chapters, chapters uh, eight and nine, uh, he um, starts talking about a collection, an offering, a benevolence offering that uh, he has been gathering. Right? So as you probably recall, Paul is um, was considered like the apostle to the Gentile churches, right? So he helped to start a lot of churches that uh, had mostly Gentile members. And um, he also advised or gave, gave guidance to uh, a number of them that he didn't nece necessarily personally plant, but he was considered the leader or the apostle for them. And uh, of course, his counterparts in the Jerusalem church, the church to the, to the mostly Jewish Christians, uh, was uh, led by uh, Peter and James, right? James, the brother of Jesus. Um, so uh, the context is, was that there was a famine that hit the uh, region around Jerusalem. And a lot of, there was a lot of need, there was a lot of financial need, there was a lot of hunger need. And so Paul um, decided that uh, he would take up a collection uh, of love and benevolence and relief, like right, for the suffering uh, brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, right? So one of his motives, I think, was, you know, purely altruistic. He wanted to help them. But secondly, uh, scholars say that Paul saw an opportunity to kind of bring the Jewish churches and the Gentile churches together. Right? Um, Paul writes in the book of Romans that um, the Gentile churches owed a spiritual debt to the Jewish churches. That the Jewish churches um, had spread the gospel, had started the, uh, the Great Commission, and that the Gentile churches, having come later and having uh, benefited from uh, leaders and missionaries and Christians from the Jerusalem churches, Jewish churches, um, that they had stood on their shoulders, that 
the sacrifice, the work, the prayers of the Jewish Christians had resulted in fruitfulness, right, in the Gentile world, the Gentile churches. And so he is trying to um, use this opportunity, this need as a means of mutuality, of love, of solidarity, of unity, connection, um, in a way that the Gentile, the Gentile churches can not pay back, but show their appreciation and uh, their responsiveness uh, and uh, their generosity right, to, the, to the Jerusalem or the Jewish churches that were in need. And so that's the context, right? And Paul had done it in Macedonia. He had done it in uh, Achaia, right? That's where Corinth was, kind of the Greek, Greece, the area that's called Greece now. And so he um, had already been in discussions with them, and apparently it had started, but it kind of uh, petered out or had slowed down, however you want to say it. And so he's kind of renewing the, the conversation, the discussion about it, right? So that's the context. Um, so we're going to look into, you know, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9, but I wanted to just kind of pull us in general, right, and uh, hear from you. You can either um, put something into the chat box, the chat, I mean, or express it, but um, what are some of the, like, common financial values? Like, just like con like conventional wisdom, you hear this all the time. Like maybe your parents taught it to you or, you know, you learned it, you know, when you were very young uh, and uh, just kind of like common, even proverbial wisdom or kind of something about money, about finances. Can a few of you offer just top of your head? You gotta save, right? Saving. Uh, what was it? What having was it? a savings actually? I mean, yeah, yeah. Like um, a penny saved is a penny earned. That, that, that's kind of the, I think the English proverb for that. Or yeah. save for a rainy day. Yeah, saving save up for a rainy day. Good. Don't max on your credit cards, or um, make sure you pay your credit card bills. <laughs> okay. Don't don't incur debt. Yeah. Uh, oh, don't let it pile up. Okay. Don't go into business with friends. All right. And don't commingle friendship and, and finances, right? Or with family too, I guess. Don't put all your eggs. Is that a financial term? Is that a financial statement, Matt and Diana? I guess so. Like investing. That's what my parents taught me. Really? I mean, I, I, I know the term, but that was in the context of, of money, huh? Yeah. Diversify your portfolio. Oh, <laughs> that's a fancy way to say it. Yeah, good. I've never heard that, Tony. That's conventional wisdom. What, what is that term? Delayed gratification? Is that, is that what you're saying? Uh, delayed gratification is is just another um, you know it's another want versus where you have a necessity in the future. 
Hmm. <laughs> I was waiting for that one, David. <laughs> Alice, don't buy the cheapest quality item just because it's the cheapest. Saddam, who said that? That's I'm not hard. like a financial term. I'm just saying that's something that my mom taught me. Okay. I think good. quality over quantity. Yeah, that's a good one. I like it. Okay. Yeah. I was just saying about that about AirPods, right? I don't want to buy the cheap AirPods that Tony's trying to push me towards because it's cheaper because they don't work after a while. Money makes looking for like snappy phrases. I'm looking for whatever you want to say, Alice. <laughs> I, my mom never taught me any um, English, like like those like. It doesn't have to be snappy. I just want like things that like everyone would like almost you know have heard or understood or come across sometime, right? Price tag. Everyone has a price. Anyone want to sing that song? Looks like everything has a price. Something. 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 <laughs> there's no such thing as a free lunch right that's another snappy thing um money makes the world go around time is money right? there's a lot right there's a lot of, of things so let's personalize this now um what are some financial values okay and i don't want you i, I want to kind of make it kind of edgy so don't share a financial value that you have per se. I want you to like uh, critique um, someone else's financial value without identifying them that you see or observe and that you don't respect. Like they treat money like this and I think that's no good. So kind of personal, but not necessarily your own. Uh, and, and, and you know, let's, let's not repeat any of the conventional wisdom stuff. But what have you seen maybe in others or, you know, somebody, a friend, a family member, uh, your spouse, <laughs> that uh, you don't really want to, you don't really follow? What did Tony say? Five dollars is unjust. Final coffee is unjust justifiable. That's a financial value that you, you're criticizing. I I guess. <laughs> so maybe that that kind of goes against the quality uh, uh, versus over quantity kind of thing. Is that what's being said? I mean, you guys should. And so we are. I'm sorry. I I, I guess I don't really. So you You're want us to critique values? Yes, that you don't like personally. Or value or practice. Either one. Whatever Alice wants. Um. Okay. Uh, spending beyond a person's means. Okay. That's a good one. I mean, I hear I hear criticisms all the time, so I'm sure it's out there. So along those lines, like 
buying a lot of something because it's a status or something that's super expensive. Um, the example is the really expensive car that you're afraid to park on the street because you're afraid someone's going to key it. Mm. Good one. Oh, I was going to say um, someone who doesn't want to pay like a small cost for like um, like a retreat, but then is willing to pay a lot of money to go do something that they, you know, want to do instead for like leisure. Okay, so kind of uh, what they're willing to shell out for and what they are not willing to shell out for, right? This is more common. Driving multiple miles looking for the cheapest gas <laughs> when really all you're making a difference is like three dollars my grandpa did that and he got into a car accident oh my gosh <laughs> oh no <laughs> they, found, they found his truck across the street at a gas station that is not even close he not even close to their old apartment building and he wouldn't admit why he was there and they found out it was because there was only a penny difference so he went there and then he got in a car accident on the way oh my gosh okay this is one that um okay i'm just gonna put it out there um buying things in bulk just because it's on sale and then letting it expire and rot away <laughs> another one is being cheap with other people but being very extravagant with oneself I'll say something controversial. I think it's controversial, right? Always uh, Dutch pay, uh, doing Dutch pay. That's a fair way to go about things, but I don't know. Somehow, um, not that you know you have to always buy or be bought, right? Because sometimes that gets confusing. So there's a place for it, but if there's you never deviate from from that i don't know that's not as um doesn't kind of fit my uh, perspective of for me i guess it's the you leave the the shrink wrap on your your couch because you don't want to get the couch you know dirty or damaged and then you don't actually get to enjoy the couch it was meant to be enjoyed as I have another one, buying more and more things and then having to pay rent on more storage uh, closets because you are still buying more things. That is a very New York City, Manhattan centric issue. <laughs> okay, let, let's uh, wrap that up since uh, some some of us might be offended because that's you know those are the things that we do. <laughs>
<laughs> so um, it's interesting to me because I, you know, uh, I think even among uh, kind of ethical people and um, well-meaning people, uh, there can be uh, some variance, right? Some of the things, some of the uh, principles maybe are a little bit more clear cut, but others is, you know, depending on how you grew up, depending on what your financial situation was, depending on the, you know, the economic demands or pressures that, that you, 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 you experienced, um, it, 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 it has some very, you know, some kind of, um, not everyone would subscribe to everyone else's. Yet when Mona and I do uh, marital counseling, that's one of the big things to kind of have the couple talk through like uh, their kind of their spending kind of history, financial perspectives, you know, because um, that's impacted by, you know, family and by situation and, and, and how they're going to, handle finances in the future uh, because it can be uh, a challenge it can even you know lead to arguments uh, you know um, so um, it's interesting right um, there uh, there are kind of um, different ways um, you know some are some people are more risk-taking, some people are more conservative, some people are uh, very, you know, they're down to the penny. Uh, others are, you know, they don't really um, pay too much attention, maybe in a, in a negative way or a positive way about kind of, you know, they, they, they round up or they round down and, and, and all that. So, uh, it, it takes a little bit of thoughtfulness and I think uh, a little bit of maybe a lot of kind of, you know, understanding and patience and communication and um, maybe trying to understand the other person's perspective. Um, right. So I think there is uh, room for black and white. But there's also room for uh, what is not as um, principled, right? Um, so uh, let's move next to um, some biblical financial values. If you guys had to um, identify some uh, financial practices, or principles or values that the scriptures teach um, that we haven't covered yet. I think some of the conventionalism, even uh, personal things, uh, may have a scriptural basis, whether it's you know direct or not. But what has not been mentioned yet that you think are kind of pretty apparent or or discernible from scriptures always count the cost before you start building okay so that is a kind of a a, a, a self-assessment or a evaluation uh is that how you mean it Steph? 
Well, I mean, it, it is biblical, right? And it comes from, um, you know, the before you start a war, you have to figure out how much uh, it's going to cost you. And I think that, you know, it, it's an evaluation of how much you value and what you value and whether the risk is worth it hmm. at the end. Right, right. That, that larger context, I think, is the becoming a disciple right if anyone does not you know count the cost of being a disciple which he there jesus mentions hating your mother and father you know even in your own life kind of thing so yeah that's that that, that definitely would apply to finances because that you know money right that's a scriptural principle that you know money is neutral right it's morally neutral but the love of money, right, is the root of all evil. And we're um, wealth and affluence is a major idol uh, in human history, certainly in the Bible. Okay, good. Uh, other scripture principles not yet articulated. Well, um, I think of the widow who gave out of, uh, basically gave all she had uh, to the temple, like uh, gave from her poverty or um, versus like people who give from her wealth. Just kind of uh, the mentality of um, the willingness to give everything to, to God. I don't know if that's a financial principle or um, just because it dealt with coins, but just a concept. Good. I mean, that, 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 that parable, I mean, not the parable, but that story that's recorded is a powerful one, right? It's like the perfect scenario uh, because, you know, it involves a widow, a woman, a poor one compared to, you know, all the other expressions of wealth and power and jesus singles her out um is the principle and this is not our main point but I, I, since you brought it up because i always wonder it i think we can describe we can describe the um describe the story and kind of the lesson drawn from it but is is the principle as you said joe that you, i thought you mentioned two possible ways to express it. One was giving, we should give out, out of our poverty. Um, it, it, did, is that what you meant to say? And if it is, is that a financial value that we should practice and how should we practice that? The second expression was, we should give God everything. Is that a financial value? Is that a principle? If it is, I don't think... I don't think the principle is um, giving out of poverty. I okay. think it's the the principle is more that this widow woman, like you said, in societal uh, culture back then, um, she had very little means, but um, that she was willing to entrust her everything to God, that she was even willing to give the little that she has. Okay. Like, I think, you know, uh, struggle that people may have is like you know to give out of our surplus right and 
especially if you have very little, like um, there's a tendency to want to, you know, hoard it or, or guard it. Nobody wants to go through poverty, right? Or the, the feeling of lack. But here, this woman, you know, not only does she do that, she knowingly did that, even though, uh, as mentioned, in society, she didn't have many means of, you know, acquiring wealth, obtaining uh, material wealth or whatever. She was still willing because um, she trusted that God would provide for her. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be um, something that um, I could uh, arrive at as well, that uh, giving or money is, uh, it, and God boils down to a trust issue, right? Does our handling of money, does our giving of money, does our use of money, does our, 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 saving of money, does that reflect full trust in God? I think that's, I would be comfortable expressing a principle from that story, from that narrative uh, in that way. I think there's a lot of other side things though. Like, you know, I think we can explore, maybe with the Corinthians, we can explore the poverty aspect. Um, we can also, uh, I mean, uh, like in Luke, the, 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 the Lucan version of the Beatitudes is not blessed are the poor in spirit, it's blessed are the poor, right? Financially poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So you, you could make an argument that, you know, being poor uh, might have some financial traction or, or merit in, in the Bible. Like none of us, hopefully, you know, would want that, uh, you know, but Maybe there's something to glean uh, from it. Um, I think staying on that kind of theme that we could say nothing is too small for God. So whether we give $2 million or two pennies, you know, um, it's all valuable to God. Right? That might be another principle that we could try to extract. I don't know if that would stand up under scrutiny, but... It, it, it kind of just goes, I think, to show that uh, I think what I was trying to say is that financial values and the use of money and the attitude towards money, it seems simple. And yet, um, when I look at the varied practices among, I think, sincere people, sincere Christians, it's kind of tricky. And, and so we should, you know, be wise and um, kind of uh, self-aware and humble uh, when we kind of enter into that arena, I think. Um, Alice, of course, yeah, um, I think that's a very important scriptural principle that I don't think is conventional wisdom in the world, right? I mean, maybe legally, it's, 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 you know, we, some people have those kinds of jobs where, you know, they hold money in trust or, you know, they're, they're, they're a trustee kind of uh, you know, that kind of thing, but um, financial ownership of property and of, of, of assets, um, that is the conventional wisdom, right? You want to, what's your personal worth? What's your net worth? Blah, blah, blah. But um, I think 
the Bible starts with this principle that God is creator, God is Lord and master and owner, and we are cre creatures, we are um, derivative, we are derived, there's a financial term, right? We are uh, stewards. God has entrusted uh, many things to us, our lives, um, the earth, uh, people, right? He's entrusted the gospel. He's entrusted money uh, to, he's, he bestows it, he provides it. And then in the parable that she cites there, he demands an accounting as well. So stewardship, I think, is a huge biblical principle. Okay, anything else that, uh, um, well, there's another big one. Thank you, Tony, right? So the relative, how should I say, the relative uh, valuelessness of earthly money, right? That's a convoluted way of saying that uh, we can't take money to heaven, right? So money that's we have on earth should um, have a different purpose than to be stored up and used or stored up and whatever, uh, kept for life beyond, right? So is the, if that's the case, is, the, is it a proper corollary to say, you should use up all your money before you die for the right things. Are we willing to say that? I don't know. I haven't thought through that myself. Any other uh, things to go uh, that maybe have not been covered? All right, uh, Matt, you know, I came on late because I can't, had to come back on. Can you pop the passage in again? Second Corinthians 8, 1 through 9. And um, if you already have it, can we get a volunteer or, or, or two to um, read it out loud for us? And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he became rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Amen. Okay, so let's try to um, pull out some financial values or principles um, from this passage that Paul writes. Yeah, elaborate, Dave. Um, other than 
it being a, a benign encapsulation. Yeah, is that you know Jesus is, Jesus has um, the resources and the means to do what he intends to do, and um, and uh, you know sometimes we don't think about it. Right? Sometimes you know we worry and we um, are you know wreck ourselves by like you know how is things going to get done you know in terms of resources or whatnot but you know sometimes we just actually don't stop and say you know there's things that Jesus wants to do that he has the means to um, to complete them it's not necessarily the onus is for us to be worried and concerned that there is no means but that you know he does yeah that, that, that's awesome um, you, you know the passage I think is Philippians 4 the earth is the Lord Lord's and everything in it Right. Um, God owns the, the cattle on a thousand hills. So it's an Old Testament, um, like the storehouses of heaven, right? Uh, but I like the way Dave kind of applied it to our, maybe the, the negative gravitational pull of, you know, of our earthly experience with money is that we lack it many times. And even in a spiritual or church or Christian context, uh, we can lose sight that uh, Jesus is uh, abundant. He is um, He has everything, right? Um, both he had everything and he, as verse nine says, purposely, purposefully laid them aside, but he's resumed, right? He was exalted in the resurrection and the ascension uh, to the point, right? Of occupying power and wealth and authority again. Okay, other... Um, things to draw out. That it was a privilege to give, to share. Yeah. Right. He says as much in verse four, the Macedonians urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing the service of the saints. Uh, I think Tony, um, before we read the passage, added that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Right? That maybe says a little more, right? Uh, that not only a privilege, but it's, uh, you know, literal meaning of the word blessed is to be approved by God. So God looks on us with favor when we give more than when we receive. However, we want to understand that. So let's explore that a little bit. Um, is that always true? It's a privilege to give. Why or why not? And how do we, let's try to make it more practical. How do we, do we experience that? Like when you guys give offering or when you guys um, you know, help like uh, donate 
uh, it's not only money, but if you, you know, serve, right? Uh, the word service, the concept service is in there too. When you serve others, even if it's uh, laborious or tedious or unenjoyable, do we um, kind of experience that as a privilege or is it an obligation? How do we kind of, uh, you know, work through the, the, the kind of the, the quagmire of all that. Um, what are some, maybe there's something in the Macedonian mindset that um, kind of drove their uh, desires, their, their, their self-understanding that it was a privilege. So anything like that, that you guys want to share, I think it'd be a fruitful um, kind of consideration. Well, it's kind of, how you described it, right? Sometimes it's not enjoyable, um, especially if the service, I think for me, it's more service. It's not so much money, but, um, you know, service um, entails your time and your energy, um, those resources, which um, can be very scarce in my life. Um, so when, when it, kind of like, uh, you know, when I'm really tasked in those areas, it can seem unenjoyable, uh, done out of obligation. Um, but it goes back to kind of what Alice said about um, us being stewards. When I refocus and remember that uh, the, the reason or the motive behind the service, then um, it may still be unenjoyable, <laughs> but uh, at least I am kind of like the, the motivation being um, because of, because I want to love God, then, um, then that motivates me to continue. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but, um, but yeah, sometimes it doesn't feel like it's more blessed to give than um, to receive. But when I remember that, oh, I have this opportunity um, because of the relationship with God, then it becomes blessed. Yeah. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, more input on this because. I think we all would generally agree that, you know, giving or serving uh, God or others is a good thing. Um, I'm not sure we would feel that it's a privilege, but we, we kind of know that it, there's something positive about it. So how do we crank it up? Uh, I think Joe did an excellent explanation of of when we think about that, you know, we're actually doing it for God, not for others, right? Ultimately, it's for his glory, not ours or a group or institution or uh, for a person. It could help them, but the real, the final recipient, right, is God. So I think that can be a definite kind of impetus. But what other ways can we kick it up to a privilege, right? Um, and if so, why do we complain so much? Why do we kind of, why are we reluctant? Why are we 
I think some of us uh, are kind of, um, what is it? Uh, what's the term? Uh, stingy, parsimonious, cheapskate, cheapskates with uh, some of our energy and time and, and, and love, let alone money. I think sometimes the complaints come when you com do comparisons. So, you know, if sometimes it seems like the, in the perfect world, it's just gonna be me and God, right? But if you do comparisons with, let's say other people who supposedly love God as much as you do too, then, and they may, it's always comparisons with people who are not doing as much. It's never comparisons with people who are doing more, right? But then maybe that's when the complaints come. Yeah. But again, when you when that is the case, you just gotta refocus on um, the motivation being love for God, and then don't compare, and then then things be you know. Things are good. <laughs> yeah, another great point, Joe. I mean, um, I think Paul kind of compares or he's he's kind of motivating the Corinthians by comparing them to the Macedonians, right? But that's not the Macedonians who are, who are begrudgingly saying, how come we're giving and the Corinthians aren't, right? So that's interesting, right? But I think the ultimate comparison or standard is verse 9, where... Um, he says, you don't worry about others, whether they're serving or not, you know, our model, I, 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 I wrestled with this for a little bit today, our model is Jesus, right, he's our exemplar, he's our inspiration, but is he our standard? I wasn't sure if I could say, I, you know, it, it, in, in a sense, we should be able to say, yeah, Jesus is, you know, the um, the, the, the forerunner, the blade trailblazer. And so we follow in the steps, but to rise to the level of, you know, divesting myself of all my richness for the sake of others to become destitute or like depleted that if I call that a standard, am, am I, you know, kind of setting myself up for failure? Anyway, those are some of my musings, uh, just appreciate Joe's uh, kind of analysis of that. Yeah, others. Um, why can't we, why do we or don't we see giving as a privilege? I think uh, for me, sometimes I can see giving as a privilege because I consider what God has blessed me with. So I feel like I'm in a position to use what God blessed me to help somebody else. Hmm. That kind of makes sense. So it's a response, in a sense, like not a mechanism, but it's it's a it's a means of yeah, like following what what the Lord has done. The Lord has provided you, and so your responses i should share this with others is that what you're saying yeah i mean kind of like 
Um, you know, I, I had a car, like I right after college. So like I was, you know, able to get this car because, you know, God provided me a job and so I could help people drive them home after like Bible study. This is like one way, like, oh, someone needed help moving. I could, you know, use that to help them. And it's like using something that God enabled me to have to help somebody else. Yeah, so that uh, I would um, even make that even more um, uh, kind of powerful by saying that it, it would be more even more powerful if you if we remembered that we don't deserve a car, that the car was given to us by God's grace. And so uh, because we're undeserving, it generates a sense of privilege that, hey, I have something great. I should not keep it to myself, I should share it with others. I think that car, Matt, has been excellent ministry <laughs> in many, many contexts. That, that is, that is, uh, that's a, a uh, that has a lot of mileage, uh, service mileage, love mileage, <laughs> because you have uh, seen it as a privilege. Yeah, praise the Lord. Anyone else want to weigh in on that financial principle slash value? I think um, just to wrap up that point, um, yeah, so if we can somehow understand everything that we have uh, to be not only belong to God in terms of ownership, but also that it is granted to us uh, by his mercy and grace. And so for me to uh, exercise some sort of uh, self selfish, kind of hold on it or a claim of uh, kind of Tony was mentioning Jonah in the presiding last Sunday about that we are entitled uh, to it and so I have a right to use uh, these things in a way that I see fit um, I mean, we should use it appropriately the way that God wants that he sees fit, but um, maybe not in the way that um, is <clears throat> makes our life harder or uh, makes me work more, uh, you know. Uh, I think, you know, what Joe mentioned uh, about you know, our complaints. I think I complain when I don't see um, the sacrifice, quote unquote, that I'm putting in 
is appreciated. So if it's not going to someone who is, or, or some cause or some organization that is not really grateful or is not really productive, that's when I'm tempted to like feel sorry for myself. Um, but then I, in my better moments, I realize how blind I am, right? That I'm just like that. I've done that, you know, 99% of the time that God has given me something and I've not appreciated it. I've demanded it. I've expected it. I've pined for it. I've, uh, and when I get it, um, it's, it's not that I deserve it, right? Um, God gives it to me so that, as Matt said, it could be, it could bless others. Um, so kind of, uh, I guess, uh, what I found to be like a, like a golden thread in this nine verses was the idea of grace, right? The grace of giving. I think Paul uses that, right? In verse seven, um, generosity, right? Uh, privilege. All that is, I think, based on the fact that we are undeserving recipients of God's blessings and God's provision, God's money. Uh, and so in our stewardship of it, in our dissemination of it, in our uh, preservation of it, whatever we do with it, it should also be governed by grace, right? Grace for the, the people or, or, or situations that money is kind of, um, you know, used for. Um, right? Even if there's not, you know, gratitude, I was thinking, right? I'm not giving money or time or emotional energy to get to hear thank you. If I hear it, that's grace. God prompted that person or that person was willing to yield to God to express a word of thanks. But if they don't give it to me, I, like Joe said, I'm still doing it out of a grateful, humble response to what God has done in my life. <laughs> I know it doesn't um, protect us from whatever um, grumbling or, or, or kind of hard feelings, but uh, I think that's a, a pathway to uh, be more gracious. To, to see things in, in, in terms of privilege. Okay, um, other, uh, any other principles that we have not covered, found in verse, found in this uh, chapter, eight, chapter eight so far? I'm drawn to this um, last phrase that you through his poverty might become rich. And I was thinking about this concept of actually becoming rich, right? Through, you know, the wealth of Jesus, right? And, you know, it is preceded by this 
the narrative of giving, right? And I, I'm thinking about the, you know, that verse where, you know, bring your tithe and see how I open the floodgates and pour out so much blessing that you don't have enough room for all of it. That there is kind of this principle that if you're generous with God, like you can't outgive God, that He's gonna give you so much more, right? And uh, and with that kind of comes this maybe I don't know view that uh, do I see myself as someone who's rich, right? Someone who's you know that and kind of having that mindset that someone who is rich, you know, is able to be more generous, right? And by being more generous, then God gives more. And almost kind of, you know, you know, like becomes a, I don't know, lifestyle of being generous that, um, yeah, yeah. So that that's, you know, the, the idea that even these Macedonians, right, you know, they, they already, the grace was there first, right? I mean, the grace that God has given. So they are with the mindset that, wow, you know, we're getting a lot. So then they give more. And, and you know, this last line that you might become rich, right? That we should, you know, I don't want to say expect it, but something like that. Something that kind of, you know, if we are really frank and being generous with God, um, that, you know, he will see us and he will reward us. However that comes, right? We don't know, right? But it should be something that when we look back on it later, I can say that, wow, God has been rich with me. And, you know, and it's a positive feedback loop, right? Being richly blessed means you're more generous, makes you more richly blessed, makes you more generous. I don't know if that's clear. Yeah, I think I, I understand that and that's that's helpful. Maybe if we applied it to the, the widow, you know, she goes, I, I'm giving a lot, <laughs> right? Relatively speaking, I have a lot to give. Um, and she indeed was, you know, rich, maybe not financially in terms of absolute dollar or whatever um, value, but she really does have a abundant uh, richness. And plus, we don't hear the next part of the story, right? Maybe she does, you know, go out the door and she picks up two gold coins. <laughs> okay, uh, I won't go much longer. Um, I did think it was maybe worth just mentioning We've talked a lot about kind of the, the widow um, and the two pennies and quality over quantity. I mean, that was a conventional wisdom kind of thing. But um, you know, sometimes I think because money is such a numerical thing uh, for the most part, even though we've tried to expand on it um, and kind of extend it, make a wider application, right? Because it, 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 but um, the amount, right? I think we, let's just say I'm, I'm going to say it this way. Sometimes we get hung up on amounts, right? and and numbers matter. You know, uh, it's not 
it's not a numbers game per se in my mind, but that's one of the you know, parameters. That's one of the measures that's a factor, right? Uh, especially when it comes to money. But the principle is that we should give um, like earnestness in giving, the heart in giving, the willingness in giving, that's more important than the amount. Or maybe I'm not sure it's more important. I want to say that that determines or that can help us um, kind of give what God wants us to give. And that amount that God wants us to give, that might be much more than we think we can give. That could be much less than we think we're giving, uh, uh, right? Um, in terms of actual amount, right? That is not as, so like going back to the, the widow story, the wealthy gave a lot of money, but they threw it into the treasury and Jesus said, it's not very valuable. The widow, you know, deliberately, intentionally, sacrificially gave the last uh, two pennies she had. And Jesus says that's very valuable. So the attitude, the earnestness, the willingness, that uh, is super important, right? Unless that is dealt with, the numbers don't matter. Like once that's dealt with, maybe numbers matter, right? Because if you have the right heart, then if God wants you to give a lot, then in faith, you're going to give a lot, right? Um, and if God wants you to give a little, once the heart is set, then, you know, you should give a little. Uh, it, it's really, and the, the only actual kind of amount principle that Paul talks about is, we find it in chapter nine, we'll get to it, but each person should give what he has decided in his heart to give, right? I mean, sit with God, pray to God, and let be guided by your earnestness for God is I think what he's saying. Well, we'll get to that. Um, that's one point. The other point is, um, and, and you hear this, I think, from uh, in, in, in Christian circles, and I think it it's, it's needs to be said, is that um, unless, you know, I think the way, some of the, the, the quippy way people say it is that, unless your wallet is saved, you're not saved or something like that. <laughs> Basically it's saying that um, unless you are financially consistent, your faith is, your faith includes financial consistency or uh, parity, however you want to say it. Like um, in other words, unless we are excelling as Paul says it here in giving verse seven, right? then um, our Christian life is, how, how do we say, not complete, or there's ways to go. Like, so he says that they excel in faith and speech and knowledge, right? So they, they, they know that. They know that, they're, that they're, they're good at that, but there is an, a kind of a glaring um, kind of gap in their Christian walk, in their Christian expression, in their praxis. Right? That 
their um, maturity or fruitfulness in other areas is not matched by their uh, by how they give or what they give. Um, so kind of like giving is indicative of you know, spiritual health. And so, and it could, it could manifest in different ways for different people, but nonetheless, it seems um, to be something that Paul is uh, pointing out here. Okay, uh, let's end there. Uh, there's more, a uh, number of other verses in 8 and 9, so we can revisit some of these things. I hope um, that it was stimulating for you and that even if you are, you have kind of come to a good place with you and God and giving and, and all that, um, I think there's always um, kind of growth and, and, and uh, strengthening, uh, maybe re-dedication uh, uh, or, or uh, a refocus that can be helpful. So let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word uh, that was given to us to study today and for the ways in which you um, illuminated it for us and the ways in which we were able to talk about it with each other. And I pray that indeed our teaching time uh, can really help us become better and fuller and more complete disciples, um, especially in the area of money. Uh, we Unfortunately, money is often talked about in Christian circles in terms of the scandalous nature, in terms of the lack of ethics, in terms of um, um, uh, the many problems that money seems to introduce um, into uh, the church. Um, but here, I think today, there's a lot of positive challenge, uh, an example by Jesus Christ, by Paul, by the Macedonians, by maybe each other where we can um, really be uh, uh, full of grace. We can experience grace in, in um, our uh, finances, uh, in our money, uh, both in how we uh, receive it, how we earn it, how we come um, to it, how we come across it, and then what we do with it. Uh, Lord, help us not to bury it like the one talent man did and... Uh, uh, avoid um, any sort of uh, relationship uh, with the giver, uh, help us to uh, be rich, uh, have that mindset, have that uh, expression. Uh, may we uh, truly uh, follow Jesus in his generosity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.